I had been a follower of Christ for about a year, still working in the Miami area, when my pastor, who was instrumental in me becoming a Christian, came to me with a challenge. He said, I have something I want you to do. It wasn't the first time he had asked me to do things. The very first time he asked me, he said, you're going with me. I said, okay. We go to a home. He said, I'm going in the back and talk with the parents. You sit there with that 16-year-old and lead him to Jesus. And he walked off. And I was about six months old in the Lord. So this time he came to me and he said, I want you to go perform a funeral for me. I said, what do I do? He said, well, just comfort the people and, you know, preach from the word and share the gospel. Well, I've never done that before. He said, I know. I want you to do it. I said, okay, whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do. So I go to the funeral home and I met the director. He gave me some instructions and he said, now, when you finish your message and you've done praying and everything, he said, there's a little red button here on the podium. You just push that button. He said, we'll come in. I said, okay. So I did my thing, and I pushed the button. Nobody came. I pushed it again. Nobody came. I said, let's pray some more. <laughs> I pushed it one more time, and I just held it. Until finally they came in, and it all went fine. And then I went to them, and I said, why were you guys so slow coming in when I pushed the button? And they said, well, honestly, we've never had a 10-minute funeral. Word got back to my pastor. <clears throat> he said, and we need to talk. He said, what did you say at the funeral? I said, I did exactly what you said I should do. I told him, I'm so sorry for your loss. I know how devastating it can be to lose someone, but if you ever want to see him again, you need to repent and come to Jesus. And I preached the gospel, and I ended it. And he said, well, that's fine. You know what you call what he was doing with me, taking me into that home, sending me off to a funeral? It's called discipleship. It's where you're taking someone who has answered the call of Christ and you're helping them understand the gifting that Christ has placed in them through his Holy Spirit that will make them a disciple who can then help others come and grow them into discipleship. That's what discipleship is all about. It's, it's not a program. It's learning about the relationship you have with Christ through the Holy Spirit. And it's being a follower of his who tells others how to follow him. You're a guide. You're an encourager. You listen. You lead. You coach. You release people. You pour into them everything you know because your life is dedicated to the master and you want others to know exactly how to live that way. That's the end goal, to be a discipler of other people who then disciple others. Welcome to week two of Send Me. And we welcome the Alma campus, the St. John's campus, and those worshiping with us online. Because we are intent on being those who follow Christ. Last week, Pastor Allen introduced the whole concept of discipleship to us. We're going to return 
to one of the passages that he made reference to and go into it once again. So follow with me in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 20, as Jesus is going along and he calls his first disciples. The Bible says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. This was not an uncommon thing. The rabbis of those days would go from village to village and families would be raising their eldest boy especially. And if a rabbi came and said, I want your son to follow me, they would release him and he would follow that rabbi and learn the words from the rabbi of all of the different Jewish writings and perhaps would become a rabbi himself. John the Baptist, who was down by the river, baptizing people for repentance unto sin. He had disciples, people who were following him. So it wasn't an uncommon thing for there to be another rabbi going around and saying, you two, follow me. That's what Jesus was doing. In the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the first four books of the New Testament, Five different times, Jesus issues this invitation to people. And he ends up with 12. Now, what's his purpose? He wants them to gain a knowledge of the kingdom of God and of him as the king. But he doesn't want to do it so that it's just knowledge in their heads. He wants to show them how that's going to impact the way they live. Well, just think about the people he chose. They were people of prejudice, superstitions. They were men of the sea, men of the earth. They were opinionated. They were selfish. They were greedy. They were human. And they were young. Almost ever, every major revival in the history of the world has started among those who were young. And Jesus picked these 12. And after he was done with them, they turn the world upside down. We are here because of them. Because they went and discipled others who discipled others who ultimately discipled you and me. That's what it means to be a disciple. Now, they didn't do it overnight. It took time for them to learn and to listen and to absorb the information that Christ was giving them and then to go out and practice it so they could understand the power that was within them. It wasn't about intellect. It was about the power of God on them so that they knew how to affect other people's lives while they were living that life, the life that Christ had called them to. A disciple learns in order to do. Last week, Pastor Allen mentioned this passage from James. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. You don't come here to gain knowledge that has no application. You come here to gain knowledge of the word of God in order to absorb that into your lifestyle so that your view of the world, 
your world life view is Christian. It's based on scripture. And it's that view that you're now sharing with others so they can be followers of Christ and have an effect on others. Do you know that the church will have more impact in the culture when you are discipling others than it ever will on drawing people into this auditorium? Because God moves through you. He moves through me. He allows us to have relationships with other people that are not just surface relationships. It's not social media. It's reality. And you tell other people what it is to be a Christian. So it started early for Peter and Andrew, these brothers that were fishermen. You know, every day they had chores ahead of them. They had to provide for their families. And they used a net in fishing. It was a very interesting kind of a net. It was circular at the bottom and had weights on it, and it was all tied together with hemp and different kinds of roping. And it was cast from the shoulder, and they would spin and cast it like this, and it would go out like an umbrella. And when it hit the water, the weights would cause it to sink. And once it had sunk to a certain level, they would begin to pull, and the bottom of the weights would start coming together, and then they'd pull in their catch for the day. And they'd pull that catch up, and there certainly would be some debris in there. But mostly they were catching fish that they could then sell to make a living. Jesus uses that illustration to say, I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to make you someone who can cast out into this ocean of unbelief, and you will draw to yourself people because I'll be the one drawing them. And when they come in, you're going to prepare them. To do what? To go and cast in other places. So that's why he used that kind of an illustration with these guys. Jesus said, come, I'll make you fishers of men. Now, maybe you were like I was. When I first got saved, I thought, that's it. Then we're done. I'm saved. Praise God. All that's behind me now. Now I can just live. It's not about anybody else. It's all about me. It's my salvation. Now, Jesus did this for me, and I love Jesus, and I'll just live like that. I don't have to tell anybody else. Now, that's not Christianity. Christianity starts with salvation, which is right here on that lifetime scale. It's the beginning of understanding what God wants you to do. And all of us are at different levels of that. None of us have arrived we're all in process with him. And in that process, we're, we're learning what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But we're not doing that just so that I can live like him, which I'm trying to do. And when I fail, it's usually by choice. And I repent and I gain that forgiveness. But it's so that I can now tell someone else I can help them come to the understanding that Christianity is more than but includes the act of salvation. But it's way beyond that. If it were not, you and I would not be saved because there would have been no one telling us, no one helping us in those times of need to understand who God is. 
So the disciples were following him. They learned, they listened, they mimicked, they practiced, and they became more and more like him, and they turned the world upside down. So many churches today are trying to add people to their congregations, and that's all they're doing. Through entertainment, through prosperity gospel, they're making promises, they're doing prophecies, they're doing all sorts of things that may fill an auditorium. That's not our goal. Our goal is to usher people into the kingdom of God through a relationship with Jesus Christ that multiplies itself throughout your life. So you want to be a disciple of Christ? a true disciple, you should actually be more concerned with those who are yet to know how to do this than you are with your own life. Because God has saved you. If you have a relationship with Jesus, you're saved, you're in it, but now you have a responsibility. This is where the I will statements come in in your life. Choices that you have to make to live like Christ. But you must be captured with this mindset before you can capture others. You, you have to really understand. I have a, a mantra, a statement that I've made for many, many years. I want to die empty. What does that mean? Not have my last meal? No, you know me better than that. What I mean is everything that I know, everything that is in my, my brain that God is, has constructed is from what other people told me. It's those who took time to disciple me. That's what I know. I don't need that when I go home to the Lord. I want to give it away. So I want to give away everything that I've learned so that others will be discipled. The same way that Bob Davis discipled me, I want to disciple others. And that is why we are here, is to learn how to do this work called discipleship. Step one. Jesus said to them, come. He made a promise after that, I'll make you fishers of men. I, I have a plan for you. There's a thing I want you to do. But the first thing was the response, will you come? Will you come to Jesus? If you haven't yet done that, then that's the first step that is necessary to become a disciple of Christ. You have to belong to him. I'll tell you the story about a young man who was 15 years old. This was in the mid-1800s. It was snowing somewhat like it did Friday night here on a Sunday morning in London. And he began his walk to the church he normally went to. He was not yet a believer in Christ, but he was a religious young boy, a, a good man. And he couldn't make it to his church, so he took a right and he goes down a street and he finds a primitive Methodist church. I have no idea what that means. But he said, I walked in and there were about 15 people there. He said, I sat in the back under the balcony. He said, a man got up and said, the preacher couldn't be here today, so I'm doing it. He said, from his language, I gathered him to be either a tailor or a shoemaker. I wasn't sure which. He said, he picked a text out of Isaiah 45, and it was, look unto me and be saved. And he preached all he knew about it in 10 minutes. And then he looked under the balcony, 
And he saw me and he said, pointing his finger, look, look, young man, look, look. And he said, he just kept saying, look, look. And he said, after a while, it hit me. I needed to look to Jesus. I needed to be saved. And I accepted Christ. Random church, random moment, snowstorm. God did his work in this young man who ended up being called the Prince of Preachers, C.H. Spurgeon, who preached for 38 years at the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London where tens of thousands of people came on a weekly basis. He preached over 3,600 sermons in 38 years. He wrote 49 volumes of information about the gospel because a tailor got up and said what he knew and challenged him to come. That's all it takes, is you need to be challenged. I was challenged to come by a message that Bob Davis preached. After I rejected that message for all those years, suddenly my ears were open, my eyes were open, my heart was open, and I received it. And I thought, that's it. But how wrong I was. Spurgeon was a rare individual, but he understood discipleship. And he spent much time with individuals and with his students training them to know how to share the gospel and how to grow in grace, how to disciple others. I don't think that he necessarily made these next three statements I'm going to make, but I know that he believed them. And I've picked them out because it's how I have lived my life, not perfectly at all. But the first statement I've made is an I will statement. And we've challenged you and told you that every week we're going to present to you the challenge of I will. You will what? Well, the first one is this. I will make Jesus my highest priority in life. So when I think of that, I think, okay, Jesus, you're number one. And it's Jesus and me, Jesus and my wife, Jesus and my children, Jesus and my grandchildren, Jesus and the church. That's the order of my priorities because he is going to be at the peak of every relationship I have. Jesus has to come first. Is he first for you? Have you made that kind of a statement to say, whatever it is, Jesus, I'll do it. I was sitting at my desk as a private eye in a law firm during that first year of my salvation and Bob Davis called me on the phone. I answered the phone. I said, yes, hello. And he said, hi, Wally, it's uh, Bob. I said, Bob, hi, how are you? He said, great. He said, you took the young people down to the Keys this weekend, probably Key Largo or Marathon, I don't remember. And he said, you had a wonderful time with them and good reports. Everybody was saying that you did so well with them. He said, I'm very, very happy that you're following what I'm telling you to do. He said, now, I do have... One thing I'd like to say, though, and I said, okay. He said, some people say that Christians don't smoke cigarettes. He said, we know that's ridiculous. Of course, there's some Christians who smoke, and that's up to them to make those kind of decisions. But I would prefer that you not smoke around the youth. So I'm on the phone. <laughs> okay, Bob. 
And I hung up and I said, Lord, I, if I've offended you, I'm sorry. I want you to be the highest priority in my life. I don't know if I use those exact words, but I said, I'll never smoke again. And he gave me the strength and the power, never, ever pick up another one. I had no withdrawal. I had no problems. It was gone. And he has done that with me in areas where I have been discipled. In the areas where I haven't been discipled, that's another sermon. That's where we all are, aren't we? In the areas where no one has taken the time to really pour into us and say, this is how you want to deal with the situation. This is how you want to live. I wish I had had more discipleship in my life because then I'd have more to give away. I want you to have every opportunity you can to make Jesus the highest priority. The next one is, I will have communion with Jesus. What does that mean? Well, the Spirit of God lives in you. He lives inside everyone who has acknowledged Christ as Savior and Lord, and he's the one who's molding you and mending you and helping you become who you are to be. So you need to be in communion with him on a daily basis. That means in the word, in prayer, in conversations with other. You need to have this relationship that is built every day. With the ones you love, you speak with them as often as possible, don't you? Whether it's by phone or in person. You're wanting to stay in touch. Well, God wants us to stay in touch with him on a daily basis because then he knows we really do have a heart for who he is and he can talk to you in these times. The third I will is I will abide in Jesus and live by faith in him. Now, that's an absolute. So think about it for a minute. What God is asking you to consider this week is, I will make you the highest priority of my life, life, Jesus, and I will be in communion with you, close communion all the time, and I will abide in you and live by faith in you. Will you? Now think about that for a minute. Can you say, I will? There'll be days when you don't do it as well as others. So this isn't to build a guilt trip. This is just to say, to the best of my efforts in co cooperation with the Holy Spirit, I'm going to make you my priority. I'm going to be in communion with you, and I'm going to abide in you. I will. I will, Lord, no matter what the situation. He'll test that. Let me give you a, a funny story. At least it ended up that way. Friday night, we had a storm, didn't we? A big storm. I was down north of Detroit in the Bloomfield Hills area, Bloomfield Township. I don't know... How many of you are familiar with the area there? But there is one major north-south highway called Telegraph Road. It runs from the south of Detroit all the way up into Pontiac, Michigan. It's an alternative to Interstate 75 north and south. So my daughter and I met in my wife's absence as she is doing ministry. We met at a grocery store at 15 mile in telegraph and we did our shopping there we caught a quick movie there we came out of the movie she said dad i-75 is just packed up it's red all the way you don't want to take 75 we were in two separate cars she said 
what do you think? I said, well, let's just take Telegraph. It's only 13 miles to our home. And I said, we should be fine, honey. She said, okay. She had a car with four-wheel drive or all-wheel drive. I have a car with four-wheel. Her car has the telephone hooked into the system. Uh, mine's old. <laughs> so it sits on the side here. We spent five hours getting home. Five hours in that car. Someone said, so what'd you do Friday night? I said, I went to a movie and I talked to my daughter on the phone for five hours. I said, she had some terrible problems. <laughs> Transfer trucks were stuck, couldn't get up the hills. Cars that thought they could went sideways and ran into other cars. It was a mad house that we sat in and inched forward. But after about 10 minutes of realizing we're probably going to spend our evening here. We had blankets in each car. We had all the things necessary to survive. We had just bought groceries, and I had half of them in my car. Now there's 25% of them in my car. <laughs> but I saw this truck. Katie was in front of me, and I was here, and this truck kept trying and trying and trying. And I'm talking about miles of backup. And I said, Katie, look at that truck. She said, it's time to pray, Dad. Yeah, oh, yeah, you're right, honey. You sound like your mother. <laughs> so we started praying, and I started praying, Lord, you know what? I'm sorry I didn't think of it before she did, but of course we should. This is a time for us to worship you in this city. You've got our attention. We can't go anywhere. I said, I'm going to pray, Lord. Send some angels to push that truck up the hill. And suddenly, that truck started moving. I'm not claiming that, okay? I know he answers prayer, but I'm not going to let pride enter into it. Yeah, he did it because I prayed. <laughs> yeah. No, I did what he expected me to do while I was praying for myself not to get hit by crazy people and while I was praying for my daughter who was also praying for the truck at the same time and I didn't know she wasn't. Five hours we spent in prayer, in communion, putting Jesus number one, abiding in him. We were practicing the very things that he had given me to say to you today. You know, come on, Lord, there's got to be an easier way <laughs> to get the points across than to have to experience them. No, there's not. That's what discipleship is about. Because we are learning how to do what God wants us to do and showing other people how to do it so that we can help them live in the fullness of life. So how are you going to respond? There is a response in Scripture. Several people responded in different ways, but King Uzziah died, and he had a close friendship with Isaiah, the prophet. And Isaiah, knowing of the death of his good friend, was mourning when God gave him a vision. Listen to what happened. Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy 
is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I'm undone. I'm ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. The call hasn't changed. That cauterization of the lips of Isaiah is symbolic of your sins being cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So you and I are now in that position Isaiah was in, where God is saying, who will go for me? Who will be a disciple who disciples others so that they can disciple others so that the kingdom can be built? One last thought from Spurgeon. Any Christian has a right to disseminate the gospel who has the ability to do so. And more, he not only has the right, but it is his duty so to do as long as he lives. The propagation of the gospel is left not to a few, but to all the disciples of the Lord Jesus. We are his disciples. And today he's saying, who will go for me? Often we will lose emphasis in translation from Hebrew to English or from Greek and Aramaic that the New Testament was written into English. So I wanted to take just a second to say something to you about what Isaiah said in his response and the order of the words he said it because it's so important. So when God said, who will go for me? Here is the Hebrew of what he said in true transliteration to English. I am saying, behold me. In other words, God, check me out. I've been cleansed. I'm ready. I'm empty. Fill me up. I'm ready. Here I am. Send me. But then when he gets to the second part, I think it was in a quieter voice probably even a voice of humility. And instead of send me, what he actually said in Hebrew was, send you me. He put himself at the bottom, the least important aspect of that formula. He was saying, send you, because I don't want to go for anyone else. I don't have a message of truth apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I don't want to tell anybody else anything. I just want to be sent by you, and I want you to go with me. But send you me, and I'll go. I'll go if you send me. Bob Davis lived 53 years and was taken by Alzheimer's. One of the youngest men in history passed away as a result of it. But he mentored discipled, trained, loved three of us from that church. All three of us are still in ministry today. Each of us 
has almost ministered longer than he lived because he was willing to take the time to make disciples who would disciple. My hope is to go into glory and hopefully hear, well done, good and faithful servant, but also, and by the way, he did a good job discipling and dying empty. So what about you? Are you ready to be trained to truly be a disciple who disciples others? The whole church and all of our campuses and online, we're all going to be working on this together. Starting on February 7th at this campus and at the Alma campus, that's a Wednesday night, will be boot camp, which is our process of helping you understand how to disciple others. On Tuesday night, the 6th of February, St. John's campus will be offering the same thing. It's a 10-week course. And I promise you, it will change how you perceive your role as a believer in Jesus Christ. So I have a question for you. Will you take this opportunity, if at all possible, to learn that and how to live that way? If so, then in your own way, in your silent way, after you pray, that's your I will for this week. Is I will do this. And then you'll go out to the connect table that's right here on this video wall and you'll sign up for Wednesday night starting February the 7th. Because we're very serious about what we're doing here and we're excited about it. So let me ask you and get some kind of a response. Will you? Yes. Okay. 12 of you said yes. All right. <laughs> the rest of you are going to pray and you're going to do it. But before that... I'm going to have you say this with me together. Lord, behold me. Lord, send me. Lord Jesus, we praise you that you are ascending God. Thank you for sending your son that we might have eternal life. Thank you for sending us and for those who came before us. And now, Lord, help us prepare to send others out to expand the gospel and your kingdom. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Go out and have a safe, safe afternoon.